Now, we kind of aren't really in 1 Timothy today. Uh, we are going through 1 Timothy. We're actually verse-by-verse verse study that we've been in. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. You don't have to turn there because we won't be looking at that today. I'm going to skip a week or so on that particular verse uh, because the last verse we looked at, uh, I'm kind of was inspired a little bit by that verse in regard to this message I want to share with you. And that verse, right before verse 10, talks about how as that we are to strive, right, in our pursuit of holiness. And the Greek word uh, he uses there is agonizomai. And it's from we, the word agonizomai, we get agonize, agony. Agon was the Greek word for uh, a gymnasium, not really a gymnasium, for a basically a sports center. Sports were quite a bit different back then. They were sometimes to the death and so forth. And that's the same Greek word that Paul uses in Timothy in chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight, lay hold on eternal life, both translations of agon there, or the word uh, from agon is fight. And it's related to the word strive. And as Christians were to strive, Jesus used that word. Uh, sometimes we think of Jesus' words. Usually when I think of Jesus talking about entering the narrow gate, right? Straight, you know, broad and spacious way, it leads to destruction. Many go that way, but uh, straight or narrow and straight is the way it leads to life. And few are those who find that. I usually, my mind usually goes to Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. Uh, but I also like Luke, where he talks about, you know, somebody asks him, is it true, Jesus, only a few shall be saved? And instead of getting into a discussion about how many would be saved at the end, and he did make it clear a few in contrast to the many in Matthew 7, here he doesn't really go into that. He tells the person that's, answering the, that's asking the question, strive to enter the narrow gate. And he used the word agonizomai. And it's like, in what sense do we strive? Because salvation is a free gift uh, to enter through the narrow gate, you know? Uh, and I believe the striving there has to do with uh, uh, basically make, when you make a decision for Christ, when you receive the free gift, Think of yourself on, on the Titanic just before it goes down. And so uh, uh, the, the wise captain told a rendition, different rendition of what actually happened, lets you know there's one lifeboat and tells you you need to get off the Titanic because it's going down. And this lifeboat will save you. Well, all the luxuries at that point, there's no warnings. You don't know they're going to hit iceberg and so forth. Your whole, everything screams within you that, man, I'm on, I'm, this is the famous first voyage of the Titanic, you know, uh, why would I get off? You know, oh, there's all these luxuries here and so forth. Unless you put faith in what the captain had said to do, uh, you'd be fighting against a lot of different things that would say, don't get off. Well, when it comes to coming to Christ, you're, you know, you're, you're, the world, the flesh and the devil all scream, don't. Don't respond to his gracious call to you. And you can't come to him unless he draws you. John 6, 44, nobody comes, comes to me, Jesus says, unless the Father draws him. Yet we know from John chapter 12, Jesus says, the Son of I be lifted up, same Greek word. Uh, he will draw all men to himself. So he's a gracious God, amen. And he draws everyone. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and of righteousness, of judgment. The Holy Spirit, uh, you know, uh, cries to come to the non-believer. That's why we offer salvation to everyone when we witness, when we share the gospel, Amen. If we didn't believe that Jesus died for them and loved them, it would be a lie to say, hey, come to Christ and you'll be saved. Be like saying, hey, there's a check here, but it's blank when you give it to them, you know, and you act, act like they can take out a million dollars from your bank account. We have a real genuine offer of salvation. Amen. Amen. 
Even John Calvin, over and over again, who didn't believe, uh, he believed only certain people were elected, he says over and over again that the reason you can universally tell people to come to Christ is because uh, the atonement had been made for them. They can be saved, which is really interesting. That, that part's true, you know. Uh, but at the same time, you do have to make a decision to turn to Christ. You have to make a choice. You have to agonizomai. And you have to say, hey, am I going to turn to Christ or not? You have to count the cost to be a disciple, Jesus said. You have to take up your cross and follow him, amen? So I don't want to, even, you know, even though we talked about agonizomai at the last part of the message last Wednesday, going through 1 Timothy 4, I'm going to hold off on verse 10, which is a beautiful verse, by the way, that we're not going to really get into today, because we're not at 1 Timothy, as I said. And it's a beautiful verse that says that Jesus is the Savior of all men. Amen. But especially of those who believe. Amen. He provides salvation for all men, but not everybody puts their trust in him. Amen. Uh, Christ's death on the cross doesn't save anybody apart from faith. Amen. So it's important to understand that the, the name of this message is basically Sanctification 101. Sanctification 101. Okay, uh, hagio or hagios is the Greek word that means holy or sanctify. When we speak of sanctification, we're talking about being made holy. Uh, the Greek word for being made holy or to sanctify is hagiazo, and that is a process whereby God makes us more like Christ. And if you are a Christian, you ought to be very concerned about your sanctification. Because Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, says, Without sanctification or holiness, no one will see the Lord. And this is not imputed sanctification in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. He says, To pursue peace and sanctification, something you pursue without sanctification, or the King James, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So as a professing Christian, you ought to make sure that you are sanctified. Amen? Because there are a whole lot of people out there today who claim to be Christians, but we shock on the day of judgment. Because we know from Matthew chapter 7, right after Jesus said, enter the narrow gate, for broad spacious way it leads to destruction, many go that way, but Narrow is the gate, straight away leads life, and few are those who find it. He goes on to talk about those who will say, Lord, Lord, right? Like they knew him. He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Wow. He says, you did not do the will of the Father. He calls them workers of lawlessness. They weren't holy. They didn't do the will of the Father. And they lived wicked lives, and they're shocked. He doesn't say a few people. There'll be this little group over here that'll be like, whoa, I thought I was saved. No, it's many people. And many of those people are on the broad road that leads to destruction. So it's imperative, because I love you, because I fear and love the Lord, that I give a clear message about sanctification. We talk about justification often. How we're justified by grace through faith. Amen. We're declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sins are forgiven. Wait, we preach the cross. Amen. But sanctification is a doctrine that does not get a lot of ink throughout 
especially you know the last few hundred years of church history. It gets some ink, but there's been such a strong emphasis on justification being made right with God through faith in Christ. Many stop there. And if you're looking back to your initial experience when you were first justified, when you put your faith in Christ, or you came up to some altar call and put your trust in Jesus, but you're not continuing to trust Jesus, you're not growing in sanctification, and you're rejecting God's call to holiness, and you have no fruit in your life. John the Baptist told the religious leaders to repent, right? For the axe is already laid to the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear fruit will be thrown in the fire and burned. These were religious people. And my heart breaks. It's something I think about quite often as a pastor. Of the millions and millions of professing Christians who have been taught if they just go up to some altar somewhere and just confess Christ, that no matter how they live after that, once they've been saved, they're, they're always saved no matter what they do. And millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people believe that. And guess what? They live like that. Why do you think the church is, in, is such a bad witness in America? Why do you think so many professing Christians live for wealth and money and the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, you know, and they make, they turn God into a genie and they basically do what thou wilt instead of do the will of the Father. This is a very concerning thing. So I wanted to talk to you about sanctification and one message, you know, it's hard to do a whole lot in one message, but I'm calling this Sanctification 101. If you can get your head around this, you know, uh, it'll, you know, you will grow greatly. And sanctification is a process whereby God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, many scriptures speak of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit works in our lives to sanctify us, praise God, amen. He's the one that calls us to Jesus, Amen. He's the one that gives us the gift of faith objectively. Amen. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So everybody can believe throughout the grace of God because Jesus enlightens the heart of everyone that comes to the world. John 1, 9. Amen. Hallelujah. But subjectively you, have to make, subjectively, you have to come to faith. God's not the believer. That's a misnomer. You can't be called a believer and say God's the one believing through you. You're the believer. You're called to subjectively put your trust in the objective death of Christ and his resurrection on the cross. Amen. Now, it's interesting because when we think of sanctification, there's a powerful work the Holy Spirit does in sanctifying us, which I'll quote a verse along those lines later. I like to back up everything I say by Scripture because I like to speak out of the Scripture, you know, exegesis, ek, out from, what does the Scripture say instead of Isis, Jesus, and read into the text some philosophy or some theology. And we never should allow our theology to dictate our so-called exegesis, Amen. That's the problem with scholasticism. It takes a system that looks, oh, this looks good. It looks like it makes sense. And then it imposes itself upon a bunch of certain, a bunch of, upon Scripture. And all of a sudden you're making Scripture say things that they, even though intuitively you should say, wow, this is checking my philosophical or eschatological or, or soteriological or theological construct because I'm writing these Scriptures I have to keep trying to explain away. No, you need to change your theology, not the Scripture. Amen? Because this is the Word of God. And he looks to the one who fears and the one that trembles at his word. Amen. So we don't trifle with the word of God. We say, what does his word say? And when it comes to sanctification, there's a lot of bad teaching about sanctification. You know, uh, some of those who'd followed Wesley taught perfectionism here and now. 
that we can be perfect now, and that sanctification is a subsequent work that happens later on in your walk with Jesus. And then you can become wholly sanctified at a certain time in your life where you'll be perfect. Of course, some of those would tend to say, well, perfection really isn't perfection, you know. Well, then why use the word, you know. And of course, we're supposed to desire to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect, amen. And we're supposed to become more and more like him. But sanctification is whereby God, through the Holy Spirit, and through the Word of God, sanctifies us. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them by thy Word. He said, thy Word is truth. Sanctify them by your Word. We're sanctified by God's Word. We're sanctified by His truth. Amen. What are we getting into tonight? The Word of God. Amen. Amen. And that's one way we prayed God by your Holy Spirit minister to us the Holy Spirit inspired the text the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts and convict us and encourage us and strengthen us so we're sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit through the word of God amen that's important to know and God graciously renews our hearts and our minds from the pollutions of moral filth and wickedness and the corruption of our old nature and who we used to be before Christ And he begins to set us apart and sanctifies us both positionally and progressively. Okay? So understand that. He sanctifies us both positionally and progressively. The Bible teaches both positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. You should know the difference because this is what the Scriptures teach. And you should test everything I'm saying. Does the Bible talk about a positional sanctification? Does the Bible speak of progressive sanctification? And you ought to make sure you're seeing it in the text. You should not leave here and say, ah, there's positional and there's progressive sanctification because I learned that Wednesday night, or I already knew that, but Joe you know, in, in, encouraged us to understand that more. No, you have to see it in the actual text of Scripture, amen? That's what's dangerous. You've got to go to any church you go to, including this fellowship. You test everything that's taught, Amen. So I want to tell you that, yeah, positionally we are uh, sanctified, and that's clear in Scripture. Uh, The Corinthians were a pretty messed up church. Would you agree? They are jacked up, man. They were were, seeking out the more flowery gifts and trying to be seen of men to a degree. Uh, They were very divisive. They were carnal. They didn't have a lot of love in their hearts. Uh, Some of them were denying the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Some of them were okaying a man who was having sexual relations with his mother, as says his father's wife. And some of them were saying they were, they're libertines in that church who were okay with that. And Paul said, you should be mourning, not celebrating in 1 Corinthians 5. They were, you know, some of them were, I mean, it's just, it was a mess. That church was a mess. But you know what? Paul said, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, he wrote to them as those who had been sanctified in the past, or in the Greek, the aorist tense. Now, I'm not saying every single person in that church was sanctified at that moment, because obviously Paul warns, be not deceived, you know, those who live wicked lives like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? Uh, So, but what I am saying is the Corinthians, there were those that were sanctified who needed to grow radically in their sanctification. They were positionally, positionally sanctified, and which ones were positionally sanctified that you could say weren't walking perfectly? Well, none of them were walking perfectly, amen? But they're positionally sanctified already. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that some of them were still babes, amen? 
like kind of like Hebrews chapter five, where they were babes in Christ and they could only he could only give them meat. Or I'm sorry, only give them milk. Amen. Because they weren't ready for meat. Amen. And there were divisions among them. And one was saying, I'm of Apollo, and another one was saying, I'm of Cephas, another of Apollos. He goes, this is, not, this is not right. They weren't mature in Christ, yet they had been sanctified. They'd been set apart. Yet Paul calls them to grow in their sanctification. So you want to you be able to leave here and a little quiz at the end. Maybe I'll have a little quiz. What's the difference between positional sanctification and progressive sanctification? My daughter Holly showed me a quote from somebody uh, today on her, she had her phone, she was reading it, and she thought it was really good. And it was pretty powerful. I mean, the guy didn't pull any punches. And I don't agree with the guy's theology wholly, but uh, I don't doubt he loves the Lord. And he talked about those who don't love doctrinal teaching are hypocrites. And I mean, that's summing up kind of what he said. So, and I thought of another man who said that the, the goats come to have their ears tickled or to be entertained. The sheep come to feed on God's word, amen? When we say doctrinal teaching, teaching and doctrine, that's, those are, that's kind of redundant because doctrine is teaching, teaching is doctrine, amen? So some people, they just don't want to hear dive in the word of God. That breaks my heart for them. And she was reading this quote where those who don't want to learn doctrine are hypocrites because they're there for the wrong reason, okay? We need to make sure we want to know God's truth, Amen? And we want to grow in his truth. Now, it's interesting because in what way are we positionally sanctified? In what way are we progressively being sanctified? In sanctification, keep in mind, sanctify or holiness, the word sanctify is, right? What is it? Hagias. And hagiazo is to sanctify or to make holy. And keep in mind, before we knew Christ, we were separate from Christ. We lived wicked lives. We belonged to the world system, and we were under Satan's power. We walked according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Amen? But when we came to Christ, what happened? We responded to his call. He drew us to himself, convicted us, showed us our need for the Savior, showed us that we were lawbreakers, that we were children of wrath. Amen? Hostile to God in our minds. And he convicted us, and we realized, man, we are doomed. But then he revealed to us what his son had done. Amen? The Holy Spirit revealed to us what the Father's son had done. By the way, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved in your sanctification. And what Christ did on the cross and dying for our sins, and we've come to Christ. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are justified. And justified means to be made righteous. Now, when you are made righteous, when you put your faith in Christ, does that mean you're living a radically righteous life all of a sudden? No, that means you're declared righteous positionally. The, the, the Pharisee, you know, he was judging the man, the, the tax gatherer. Jesus talked about this, and he's talking about, I'm, doing, I'm not like this guy. You know, I fast twice a week. I give to the poor. And Jesus says, but the guy that he was picking on, that was praying, he couldn't even lift his head to heaven, but he beat his chest, and he said, Father, he said, forgive me, you know, wretched man that I am, you know, basically. He couldn't even look up to heaven. And Jesus says, which one of those left justified? The humble man. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. So his heart, he received forgiveness of sins, right? He left justified, Jesus says, right with God. He didn't leave right with God based on any works he did. Amen? Amen. He lived left right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. Because it's a free gift of salvation. Amen? Amen? 
He was declared righteous. Now, guess what happens at the moment you put your faith in Christ? You are justified. You're made right with God. And guess what? Because you're forgiven and justified, made right with God, guess who comes to live in you? The Holy Spirit. Amen? And you're regenerated. You're born again. Amen? So then you're born again because now God can live in you because you're forgiven. And this is what's beautiful. This is where your sanctification begins as well. When you are forgiven and Christ comes to live in you, you become part of the body of Christ. And when you become part of the body of Christ, you are now in him. Amen? Amen. I think the preposition in the Greek where it says that we are in Christ, in him, is used over 60 times in the New Testament. We are part of the body of Christ. He's the head, right? Amen. We are in him, the hands, the feet, metaphorically speaking, but we are now the, his, part of his body. We're in Christ. And when you are in Christ through your union with him, you are no longer subject to the wrath of God. Amen. Amen. You've been set apart from that which is evil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you've been incorporated in Christ. And being in Christ, you're in union with Christ. If you're a Christian right now, you are in Christ. And being in Christ, you are spared the wrath of God because Jesus suffered it in your place. Amen? Amen. Now we are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. So that's sanctification. You're positionally, positionally separate from that which is evil, consecrated unto God in Christ. Amen? Amen? So what does it mean to be positionally sanctified? It means to be in Christ through faith. Amen? Amen? So sanctification takes place through faith, just like justification does. And it takes place as a result of being in Christ. So positionally, you're in Christ. That's beautiful. But how does that work out practically? Practically means to be, well, sanctification means to be made holy. Are we all practically living a holy life when we first get saved? No, we've repented. We've had metanoia. We've had a change of heart, change of mind. Because Jesus says, unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Jesus says, go and preach repentance for the remission of sins. So unless we repent, we'll perish. We receive forgiveness of sins when we have repentant faith. That means a faith where we turn in our hearts from a life of darkness. We embrace Christ our Lord and Savior. So sanctification begins positionally, but it also begins progressively. How so? Because when I repent... I turn from that broad road that I'm traveling on away from Christ and I turn to him, amen, as he draws me by his grace and his power, amen. As I turn to him and I'm looking to him now, guess what? I've already, my walk's already changed. I've just done a 180 in my heart and my mind. Repentance or metanoia is a change of heart and a change of mind that leads to the fruit of a life or change in behavior, amen. You don't, when somebody looks at somebody's life, it's changed. They can say they repented, but they're looking at the fruit of their life. There's a difference between fruit. Remember, John the Baptist said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. The apostle Paul, I think it's around Acts chapter 20, he defends his ministry saying, he says to bring forth, uh, to, to do works that are fitting with repentance. But just like faith and works, we're not saved by our works, but works are the fruit of faith. So fruit and works are the fruit of repentance. So when I repent and turn to Jesus and embrace him as my Lord and Savior, I am justified. I am in union now with Christ. Amen. And I'm positionally sanctified. But guess what? God's already, by the work of his spirit, began to change my direction and make me more like Christ because now I'm pursuing Christ. Amen. Amen. So it's important to understand this. And it's really important as well 
to understand that uh, on a practical level, we need to make sure that we are being sanctified from day to day, being made more and more like Jesus. Amen? Now listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And before I actually read this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 speaks of our sanctification positionally. It says, if anyone be in Christ, right, in union with Christ, in him, right, behold, he has become what? A new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Amen to that? So guess what? We're in Christ and now we're sanctified positionally. But guess what? If you look at 2 Corinthians 3.18, you can just listen to it. So all of us who have that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Catch that? So progressive sanctification is becoming more and more like who? Like Jesus, amen? We've been accepted. We're in Him positionally. We're sanctified. Eris tense in the past. We've already been sanctified, amen? But we're also continually to become more and more like Him. And notice it says this. <laughs> so all of us have it, the veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord is who is the Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit. Check it out. There's the Holy Spirit's work in sanctification. He makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So sanctified means to be transformed, to be set apart from the defiling works, pollutions, corruptions of the flesh, the world and the devil, right? And to be made, remade in the image of Christ. Remember, we had fallen. We're fallen people, amen? Christ came in the world to save rebels who'd fallen. He didn't send his son, Jesus said, the Father didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but the world through him may be saved, Amen? That's his, you know, we were, while we were as sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news, amen? amen. I just finished a little, uh, a book, a little book, children's book. Some of you have seen it. Some people saw it before I saw it, you know. Doug brought it over to my house and said, hey, it's done. And Emily helped me out on it. She did these amazing pictures. Emily, I looked at those pictures more in depth lately because I've just been going page by page. And I read it to my grandchildren. You are such an awesome artist, man. You're carrying the book. That was like great work. Anyway, that'll be out pretty soon. Uh, Emily did a lot of hard work on that, and I'm very thankful for that. I want to say that to you uh, personally, but I've said that already to her personally, but now I'm going to embarrass her publicly. Great, great work. I mean, that, that took some work, man. I was like, wow. And uh, Doug was on her back with a whip and mine as well. Uh, but that's, that's done, and it's, it'll be, I think, later this month on the 21st. It'll be ready, available on Amazon, you know, if you want to check it out, you know. Uh, Anyway, and if you can grab it and leave a good review, if you, if you don't have a bad review, if you have a bad review, just tell me personally, you know. <laughs> that would be awesome. But I can't, I, I can't, I'm excited for you to get it out, get it out because uh, the name of the book, man, what is the name? Sparky the Broken Mirror, you know, Sparky the Broken Mirror. When is that available, Doug? It is the 21st. I thought it was the 21st, three days after I turned 60. Man, I've been writing all these books. I never get done with any. I finally get one done after I'm 60, and it's a kid's book, you know. <laughs> uh, Doug plays with me on that one. But, uh, but uh, it's interesting because that book, I've, I've only want to write things that, that I think will have, be very fruitful, you know. I've written a lot of things like that, but things I'll think will have an impact. But the, 
the, the story behind that book briefly is that we're, if Sparky's a mirror made to reflect a king in a palace. And then a serpent deceives him. He breaks. He has this huge fall. He's shattered in a bunch of pieces. You know, I don't want to give the whole thing away, but basically I already have. And how we'll, and I've used that as an illustration sometimes, not Sparky, but how we are like mirrors that are created to reflect God. But if a mirror gets broken, how does it get fixed? Does it look inward like humanists teach? Or does it look to the occult as New Agers teach? Or does it try to find itself? And I let Sparky go through all these journeys trying to get remade, you know, and he carries this broken mass of glass in this little pouch, looking all around, and he just can't find, and he visits a witch and a guru and different people, and he just can't get fixed. Until guess what? The king arrives. Amen. And then he can get fixed. I won't give you all the details, but of course he gets fixed and he gets restored by the king. And he asked the king, how come I couldn't fix myself? Or how come I couldn't get fixed? He says, because I alone know your story. It all rhymes, you know. I'm the only one that knows your story. And I made you in my image to reflect me. So how could somebody else fix him? Amen. Amen. And then Sparky's fixed by being put back together to reflect the image of his king. We are in sanctification. That's what we're going through. We're being remade into the image of our king from whom we fell. Amen. And uh, so I use that as an illustration, not only of the fall, but of justification, of atonement, of uh, glorification in heaven. It's, like the, it's actually for the whole family because it's a powerful, I think, parable or picture of the story of redemption. It's something that you can pass out if you want. One gal, uh, Lynn, she goes to a, a Grace uh, Community Church over John MacArthur's church, and she's saying, man, Joe, I can't. She's a writer herself. She goes, I can't wait. I want to buy 10 or 15 of these to pass them out every time I go to a baby shower, you know. And uh, I guess if everybody does that, it wouldn't be a great gift, but that's one idea, different baby showers. But uh, I want to encourage you guys to understand, and I use that illustration so we get our brain around what sanctification is, how we're being made like our king, amen? And that's important that we understand that. But pro- so a little quiz, this way I'll help you out before we get to the very end. Sanctification positionally is, means to be what? Set apart and be what? In Christ, amen. United to Christ through faith, amen. We are sanctified. But progressively, sanctification is more practical, and that means becoming more like who? Jesus progressively, day by day, amen. As it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we're being transformed and changed into his image from, what, from glory to glory, as some translations say. Isn't that beautiful to know? As we get older, man, like I said, I'm going to be 60, man. And I'm like, man. I'm getting up there, man. And I thought, but you know what? I love that verse. It's also in 2 Corinthians, which says, even though the outer man is decaying, the inward man is what? The inner person is what? Being renewed day after day. Amen? That's part of that sanctifying uh, process. Now, uh, (laughs) some of the things I want you to really get your brain around is God uses a lot of other things, too, to, to sanctify us. The work of the Holy Spirit. We're sanctified through faith. We're sanctified by the Word of God. We've talked about those things. We're sanctified through union with Christ. There's four things right there. But He also uses trials to sanctify us. We know that, right? That's why uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, and uh, also James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, tell us that we're supposed to rejoice in our trials. Why rejoice in our trials? Praise God, as Christians, we can rejoice in our trials. Why? Because the Lord's perfecting us through them. 
Our goal as Christians is to become like Christ. Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Amen? That's our goal. Somebody asks you, hey, what's, what's God's will for our lives? That we are conformed to the image of his son. That When you get your brain around that, and you start to realize that God uses your trials to that end, and you realize, well, wait a minute. It's more important that I become like Christ, amen, and that I'm a partaker of his holiness, amen, than my personal comforts. Amen? When you realize without holiness, no one will see the Lord, amen? When you realize that our ultimate goal in life is to be like Christ and that we're fallen and that we've been saved by his, his glorious and wonderful sacrificial death for our sins and his glorious resurrection, you recognize, you get your brain around how beautiful it is that one day I'm going to be with him forever in his kingdom. And you realize that he uses trials in our lives to make us more like Christ. And, and, and becoming like Jesus matters more to you than having fun than being comfortable all the time, then it's a lot easier to go through your trials. In fact, you can even rejoice in them because you have the end in view. You don't stare at your trial. You look through your trial as to what you're going to become in Christ. That's how you get victory over trials. So you'll freak out. Lord knew you'd be where you're at right now. As John said when I asked for praise reports, praise the Lord that God is on the throne. Amen. That he's ultimately in control. Amen. Now this is heavy because James says, uh, you know, consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How can you consider all joy? Because the next verse, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's moving us toward perfection, amen? Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Peter said, be holy as he is holy. We're called to holiness, Amen? And that's one of the means that God uses, trials. Because trials reveal our, the flaws in our character, amen, and they identify the darkness that we need to repent of or the lack of faith or lack of wisdom. It goes on to say, if anyone lacks wisdom, last the mask of God who gives to all generously without reproach. We must ask in faith, right, without doubting. Because God is good. He wants to bless you. But he, those lacks we have, he uses trials to make us more like Christ. If you never went through a trial, you'd rarely cry out to Jesus for help because you don't need help. Do you understand how God works? That's beautiful. It's powerful. And it helps you really be victorious in life because then you can face those trials that way. He also uses discipline. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, before he says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, he says that the Father in heaven disciplines you with fatherly discipline so you may be a partaker of his holiness. And live, he says. He wants to be a partaker of his holiness. Why? Because without holiness, I won't see him. Without becoming like him and transformed, I'm not fit for heaven. Amen? If I'm a rebel, I'm just a devil. I'm in the devil's image, and I'd pollute heaven. You know? So it all makes perfect sense biblically, scripturally. And God wants it to make sense to our hearts. Because in heaven, there's no more you know, stealing and murder and kidnapping and, and rape and abuse and so forth. Amen? Because those folks aren't there. If you're still those folks and you're rebellion to God, well, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It says he's going to create in Second Peter chapter 3, a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. 
And that's because he's making new creations through the gospel and through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And through the word of God. Are you with me so far? So are, you, do you, are we comprehending more and more what it means to be positionally uh, holy, sanctified, and progressively becoming more like Christ? Praise God. In fact, let's underscore some of that. If you want, you can go to second, or you can go to Colossians chapter 3. And I'll show you how this works out on paper. Because a lot of people get confused. Even theologians, you know, they debate, you know, well, it's hard to understand because, you know, I was reading one theologian recently, and I praise God for his humility, but he's like, we don't, I don't really understand he said it, but he wrote a big thing on it, and I think he did pretty good, but he's like, I don't really understand how we've been sanctified, or, or we've, I'm sorry, he's talking about the crucifixion of the old man. He goes, I don't understand how we've been, the old man has been crucified, yet we're called to crucify the old man. And that's kind of a brain twister in a way. Wait, the old man's been crucified, yet we're called to put off the old man, and so forth. But it's a little nuanced, but you're going to get your head around that because guess what? You've already understood the foundation of what that is all about. Positional and progressive sanctification. Because you go to Colossians 3.1, it talks about how we have been sanctified, or I should say, we have been, well, look what it says. Therefore, in Colossians 3.1, therefore, Paul writes, if you have been what? Raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So we've already been raised up with Christ. We're supposed to keep seeking the things that are above. Now let me go with you because I just have on my paper Colossians chapter 3 uh, verse 1 written down. And uh, it's interesting because when you look at Colossians 3 and you go a little further, look at verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have what? Died and your life is hidden what? With Christ and God. So guess what? Our old man died, right? We died. So we're positionally where? What does it say we're at? Verse 3. If you have died and your life is hidden where? With Christ and God. So you have new life and you're with Christ and God. You're positionally sanctified. Amen? Your old man died. So now, wait a minute. Our old man died. When did that happen? Well, guess what? You participate in sanctification with the Lord. You have a responsibility. God just doesn't sanctify you positionally without you responding to him in faith initially. He doesn't uh, sanctify you progressively, day by day, without your participation in trusting him. So you have a part. And it's interesting. I love, I love Philippians 2.12. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation, by the way. Some read it the wrong way. It says work out. The Greek says work out your salvation that you already have with fear and trembling. Then in verse 13, it says, for it's God that works in you, his, good, his will and his good pleasure. I love that. So yeah, you're participating, but it's ultimately God who is working in you, right? Amen. To will and to do his good pleasure. God's the one that's even helped us want to follow him, amen? Because we wouldn't want to turn to him on our own. I love that, man. I love that interplay between work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, meaning you have responsibility, but verse 13, it's God who has at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. Hallelujah. So you never want to just look at one side. You want to put both of those scriptures together and say, wow, we need to cooperate with the Lord and respond to his grace. Amen? Amen. So there we have in Colossians 3, the first three verses that we have died. In fact, when you first came to Christ, what did Jesus say you had to do? had to deny yourself, right? 
Take up your cross how often? Daily and follow him. You had to deny yourself, your old life, your old man. The one that was in rebellion to God. You say, nope, you're dead, man. You take up your cross. You deny that old man, right? And you recognize theologically when you realize that Jesus died for you and you respond to that call that my old man died with Christ. That he's dead now, man, on the side of the road somewhere, so to speak. But guess what? That old man, the residual effects of that old man still knock and want to gain ascendancy in your life. Isn't that right? Because look what he goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 8. He goes on to talk about how even though that old man died, right, and your, your life is now hid in Christ, verse 3, look what he says in regard to your progressive, that's positional sanctification. Guess what he says in regard to your progressive sanctification. Look at verse 8. But now you also, you also, put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid, since you laid aside the what? Old self with its evil practices. So that old man, you already laid aside him. You laid him aside. You recognize that Jesus died for you and your old man was, died in him. He paid for your sins. But guess what? Those evil practices that are associated with the old man, you need to make sure progressively on a practical level, amen, you crucify them. Amen. You see, in Galatians 5.24, Paul says, all those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his affections and desires. And by the way, have crucified, in the Greek it's in the aorist tense, the past tense. All those who belong to Christ, he says, have crucified, past tense, the flesh with its passions and desires. King James, its affections and desires, I believe. So in other words, when you came to Christ, you denied yourself, you repented, you turned from that old way, that broad road, and following the, the things of the flesh. When, when you woke up and said, I'm going to get drunk today, you said, no, I'm not. That's not me anymore. I'm, I'm a follower of Christ now. Or I'm going to go cheat on my wife or cheat on my husband or I'm going to go you know, kill someone or I'm going to go rob someone. You said, no, that's my old man. It's not who I am now. But guess what? The old man knocks. And he wants you to accept him piece by piece and slowly resurrect him to where he re is resurrected and gains ascendancy in your life. I told you some time ago that, uh, uh, and I'll say it really quickly because I've used this illustration before, but I was trying to get my brain around this whole thing when I was going through Romans chapter 6, verse by verse. And I cried out to the Lord, Lord, please help me understand what it means to count the old man dead. Because Paul says the old man's dead. But at the same time, help me understand what that means because Paul goes on to talk about no longer being slaves to sin and watch out for the ascendance of the old man in your life throughout that chapter. And I prayed and I sought the Lord about it. And that night I had a crazy dream. And you got tested by Scripture, you know. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, but it sure seemed like an answer to me. And my wife, who was part of the, you know, now, the liberal, you know, feminist group now, and would visit, go to, I think, used to go to college classes with her mom uh, as a now member or whatever she was. And, and she was partier and you know, liked to go out and party and dance everything before she became a Christian. And her mom used to live somewhat, as she would say, vicariously through her because she'd go out dancing and, hey, how was your night and all that. And, and now she's a new creation, right? And her, and her mom was not a new creation yet. 
So it was a really interesting dream because I just, boom, a vivid dream where my wife is comatose, just out, but she's still alive, but she's dead. And the word when it says count the old man or wreck the old man, right? The, the word it talks about when it uses, it uses a word that means uh, decapacitated or uh, out of commission. It's used throughout the Romans and elsewhere of not literally dead, but out of commission. I looked up that Greek word. I'm like, wow. And my wife was just laying there, laying there, gone, but there, breathing, but like you could wake her up. And guess who was right next to me? My wife, the new Lisa. <laughs> and I'm like looking at Lisa. I'm like, and then her mom was standing next to her. And her mom wanted to wake the old Lisa up. And I was like horrified. No, don't wake that girl up. That's, I, know I was lost too before I was a Christian. I don't want old Lisa, you know. I want to learn how to dance. You know, just kidding. But she lived a wicked life like we all did, you know. I could dance, but it looked kind of funky. Is, uh, so I'm looking at that old Lisa and the new Lisa, and I'm like, I like the new Lisa, you know. I knew the old Lisa barely, you know, before we were Christians. And her mom wanted to raise the old one up, and I'm like thinking, no. And then I woke up. I'm like, what a crazy, it was so vivid. I woke up, ah. And then when I looked at that Greek word that refers to the old man being incapacitated, I'm like, ooh, because that old man has been rendered dead, Amen. Through faith in Christ, we have union with Christ and are sanctified. Amen. But if we reject the faith, right, we can allow the old man to wake up. But we're to reckon that old man dead through faith. We're supposed to trust. Yep, Jesus killed the old man. I need to believe what he says. Amen. I need to trust him on that. Amen. And then I need to walk according to what he's called me to. So listen to what Colossians 3 says about the progressive aspect of our sanctification. He says this, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. See, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, you've done that, right? Amen. You participated in, in that aspect of sanctification when you came to Christ and you identified with Christ and his death on your behalf. But he says, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and I've put on the new self. You put on the, when you became a Christian, you put on the what? The new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So what's going on? He's renewing us to become more like him. Don't take back those old practices that are associated with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Amen? And that's what Satan does every day when you wake up. He's like, hey, let that old flesh arise. Knock, knock. And that's why Jesus says on a daily basis, to be his disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. Every day you're saying, nope, old man, on the cross. My selfish will, on the cross. Your will be done, Lord, not mine. Amen? That's what it means when you're saying, what does it mean to die to yourself? It means to say, not my will, but thine be done. I remember I was, uh, when we were just up in New York, you know, uh, doing a uh, uh, conference up there. We had a great time, you know, staying with... Uh, the Von Ives, Mary and Keith, and beautiful people. And uh, I just loved it because Keith, man, and Mary, I just love to see their faith, and they just love the Lord and their walk with Jesus and how they spread the faith. And they've reached so many people, and a ton of people came from different places to our conference. And it was great. But I remember, I love hearing Keith's testimony because he says when he was a new Christian, he was growing in his knowledge because he was so new. But you know what he'd say for the first several months of his Christian walk? 
He didn't know a whole lot yet because he's a new Christian. But he'd be talking to the Christians, and when they talk about their faith and what it means and so forth, he says, we just got to die to self. Over and over again, he got, we got we to die to self. We got to die to self. He goes, I didn't know all that entailed. He goes, but I knew I needed to die to self. And because he sincerely wanted to reckon the old man dead, amen, and live for Jesus, he progressed in his sanctification because God saw his heart. He became more and more like Christ. And then he fully understood, more fully understood what it means to die to self and to live for Christ. And he knew it meant putting off the old things he used to do before as a Christian because Keith was rebellious like all of us, doing his own thing, living for himself, living for the world. You know, now he lives for the Lord and he's a beautiful man of God. And Mary used to have that same fallen lifestyle and she died to self as well. What about you? Can you say, got to die to self? Is that where you're at? That's where you need to be if you're going to be a Christian. You need to count the old man dead. And you need to put the things away, the vestiges of the old man that want to be resurrected in your life. You need to put them aside because he says very, very clearly here, Colossians makes it clear that the new self is to be engaged in an enduring progression of renewal through putting the things associated with the old man to death. Amen? In fact, uh, in Romans chapter 6, Romans 6 is such an incredible chapter. But he talks about, again, that, that more positional sanctification where we're already sanctified, amen? But he also goes into the progressive aspect of sanctification where we're being made more like Christ, amen? In fact, listen to Romans 6, 6. It says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. That our old self was what? crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Amen? So our old man was crucified with Christ. We're positionally in Christ. Amen? Our old man's dead. Now we're alive. And our lives are hitting God in Christ. Amen? But then he goes on to talk about that progressive sanctification whereby on a practical level we put to death the deeds of the old man and we grow in sanctification. In fact, look at chapter 6, verse 11. Even so, he says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Brothers and sisters, you're supposed to consider yourselves to be dead to sin. No longer live for the old man. But alive, listen to this, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. We do that through faith. But now watch him talk about, as you consider that old man dead, how you're to grow practically in holiness. Look at verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so to obey its lust. So Lisa could have said to the comatose Lisa, I'm going to let that old comatose person come up and start following those old lusts or desires. Verse 13. And do not go, present, go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. I mean, live out your identity in Christ now, amen? You're alive, you're a Christian, you're alive, you have a new, your new creation in Christ. Live that life out now. And your members, as, now he says this, and, uh, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And I'm going to read that verse again only because I want to make sure it makes sense to you. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, amen? In other words, use your hands, your feet, your tongue, your mouth, your, what you say, amen? Your ears, everything. Use it to the glory of God now. 
Walk in the newness of life. Verse 14. The next verse. For sin shall not be what? Master over you. Don't let sin master you. For you are not under law, but under grace. See, under law, they couldn't please God. But when we're saved by grace, through faith, we're forgiven of our sins, we're positionally sanctified, and we receive the power of the Holy Spirit who empowers us now to progressively become more and more like Christ. Amen? In fact, go ahead and drop down, if you will, to verse 19. Jump to verse 19 of chapter 6. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, Paul says. For just as you presented, just as you presented, just as you presented your, your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness in your past, resulting in further lawlessness, you just got worse and worse. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. There it is, right? It's happened. We've been sanctified, but we're progressively becoming more and more sanctified. So we're under construction, amen? Verse 20, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. In verse 23, he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at Romans 8, 12, and 13. He says this, Brethren, we're not in ob obligation to the flesh to live according to his lust, right? He says in verse 12 and 13, he says, uh, We're not dead as the flesh to live after the flesh, for if you, but look what he says in verse 13, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit... But if by the Holy Spirit he's speaking of, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will what? You will live. So on one hand, the old man's dead, amen? But on the other hand, we continue to put the things to death that still, the vestiges of life that still come up from the old man. Are you with me? Because none of us have obtained perfection yet. We won't be perfect until Christ comes, amen? So there will still be a struggle from our old man. But it's not the kind of struggle where it's like a seesaw. Oh, I'm living a wicked life for the flesh. Then I'm living a righteous life, denying my old man. I'm living a wicked life for the flesh. I'm no, God doesn't want you going back and forth. Amen? Some people treat it like that. Like, you know, they use the analogy. And I'm not, I don't think, say the analogy is wrong. We've got to be careful how you use it of two dogs, right? You know? Call one dog spirit, one dog flesh. Which dog is going to be stronger if, you're, if you have two dogs inside of you? The one you feed the most, Right? So don't feed the dog named flesh. But the idea, a lot of people teach that in such a way where you can just go back and forth. No, you can't go back and forth. You're supposed to count that old man dead, amen? That's not my life anymore. I repented from that old man and living according to the flesh, amen? Unfortunately, there are millions of people in churches today who are living according to the old man and believe they're Christians and haven't even repented of their sins. Or after they repented, went back to their vomit. Or like the pig, to its, they're wallowing in the mire, and then he goes on to say in verse 14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That's powerful. Because in verse 13, 12 and 13 says, We're not debtors of flesh to live after the flesh, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, do, but if you through the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. If they are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. See the Spirit's work in our sanctification, making us more and more like Christ. Amen. In Ephesians, we see the same phenomena that we see in Romans, that we see in Colossians. 
We see the old man has been put to death in Ephesians. The aorist tense is used of, of the old man being dead. Yet we see this progressive aspect as well where we continue to not only be positionally sanctified but grow in our, our sanctification spiritually speaking. In fact, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 where we see progressive sanctification. It says, But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him. He's talking about living Wickedly, like the Gentiles who are calloused and hardened in their hearts and filled with lust and living according to the lust of the flesh. He goes on to say in verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, amen, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Huh, see that? You lay aside the old self. Verse 23, so it's like taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes when you become a Christian. You take off the old worldly wicked way you lived and you put on Christ now, Amen. That's what you do. And in 4.23 of Ephesians, Paul commands believers, quote, to be what? Renewed. Renewed, amen, in the spirit of your mind. How? By laying aside the old sinful habits that were associated with the old man and taking up new clothes that are associated with the new man. Look at verse 23. And that you have been renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. I love that. What's the new man? Righteousness and what? Holiness of the truth. What do we, what do we have when we are lost? We are filled with lies, believing Darwinism or some strange philosophy, and we are filled with immorality, amen? But we're being recreated in the image of Christ, we're being told here, according to righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, verse 25, therefore laying aside falsehood, Speak truth, each one with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. See, guess what? This is not a static relationship between us and God. It's not a predetermined deal. Amen? The plan's predetermined. Corporately, we're in Christ through faith. Amen? But you have a decision to make. You can either let the old man come back. You can give place to the devil. Or you can say no. It's a decision that we have to make. Verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That's the old man, guys. But only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. There it is, man. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, he goes on to say in verses 5 through 8, he warns us not to go back to a life of perversion. He says that no one deceive you with vain words, because if you live a wicked life again, you go back to that wicked life. He says, don't let anyone deceive you with vain words. You will not inherit the kingdom of Christ. He goes, you have become light. Amen? We're lighting Christ now. He goes, do not go back with the children of darkness. Become children of wrath again. Verse 8. It's real clear. You can go back to that old man. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, he says to them that they've been sanctified. Amen? They've been justified. Amen? Praise God, that's us. We're sanctified. We're justified and so forth. Amen? But in verse, the two verses before that, he says, Be not deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. Neither fornicators or adulterers or feminine or homosexuals or drunkards or revilers, extortioners, and so forth. 
will inherit the kingdom of Christ. And he says, such were some of you, but you've been sanctified, amen? But he says, don't go back to that old man. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll end with this, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at the warning he gives. And he actually says in verse 10, look at verse 10, 10, 10. By this we have been, what? Sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all, amen? So he's saying, hey, praise God, we have been sanctified, amen? But look what he warns them in verse 26. For if we, believers, go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains what? A sacrifice for sins. Look at verse 27. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer or worse punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was what? By which he was sanctified. And has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Woo, and it's a little bit later where he says, Pursue sanctification without which none will see the Lord. Amen? So we are sanctified positionally. We are being sanctified practically, becoming more and more like Jesus. When Jesus returns, says he that has this hope in 1 John 3, even the second coming of Christ, sanctifies us. Amen? I mean, if you look at the scripture we have up from the name of our church, Blessed Hope. The Blessed Hope, we're looking for his great appearing. But it says, in light of looking for his appearing in that passage, we live soberly and righteously in this world. Amen? And when we look for Christ's second coming, guess what else we do? 1 John 3, 1 through 3. says, he that has this hope of his return purifies himself even as he is pure. Amen? And it goes on to say, and one day we shall be, we don't know exactly what we're going to be like, it says, but we shall be like him. Amen? That's glorification. When Christ comes back, finally we're fully like him. Amen? Amen. Nobody's perfect yet, but guess what? We're being perfected. So the difference quickly between positional sanctification and progressive. Positional sanctification, have we been positionally sanctified as believers? Yes or no? And it means to be where? In Christ, in union with Christ. Are we fully sanctified progressively yet? Are we perfect yet? No. Progressive sanctification is where we practically become what? Like Christ. And a few other questions. You can, one other question. How do we become sanctified? By what? By what? What does God use to sanctify us? What's that? Trials. Trials? Ooh, that's one thing. Yeah, for sure. What else? Discipline. The Holy Spirit. Don't miss one of the big ones. Hint, hint. The Word of, the word of God. Amen. Okay, stay in the Word. Amen. Stay in the Word daily. You don't want to be like James says, the man who looks at his face in the mirror and walks away forgets what he looks like. He goes on to say, be doers of the word, not hearers, only deluding your own selves. But it's the one who abides in the word. Amen. We want to stay in his word and allow the Lord to continue to sanctify us. Amen. Can we all please stand?